Welcome to Witch and Goddess. I'm your host, Patty Black. I'm a witch, a teacher, and priestess. Goddess devotion is an essential part of my craft, and many goddesses are my cohorts in magic. Each episode, we explore a different goddess, her lore, and how to connect with her energetically and magically. Hello. Thank you for joining me once again. Last time, we discussed lunar goddesses, some of their similar characteristics and themes. Today, I want to go into more detail about a few specific moon goddesses. And I want to take a moment to do something that, in hindsight, I should have, could have been doing all along. I want to thank the deities mentioned in this episode for lending their names, their myths, and their energy. I want to thank them for their lessons and presence, and ask them to use this channel to advance their great work. Let's start with the beautiful Chinese goddess mentioned in the last episode, Chang'e. She's known as a beautiful but lonely woman living on the moon. The legend goes that Chang'e once worked for the ruler of heaven, the Jade Emperor. When she accidentally broke a precious possession of the emperor, he banished her to life on earth as a peasant. And that's where she met and married a skilled archer who would become king. Later, there was a mix-up with a potion of immortality. Because of course there was. And Chang'e somehow swallowed it. She floated, or fled, to the sky and became the living essence of the moon, remaining there for the rest of her existence, with only a white rabbit for company. In other versions of the tale, she greedily stole the potion from her husband, or was forced to drink it to prevent someone else from stealing it. And in yet another version, Chang'e's husband drank the other half of the potion and floated up to become the ruler of the sun, the two representing the divine feminine and masculine energies. There are just countless examples of myths with multiple versions, and like this, many of the tellings differ mainly in where they lay blame for a misdeed, or how they justify the motive. I'm starting to like this, rather than getting frustrated with the paradox. Stories like these remind me of the different versions of my own myths, the ones that I tell myself. Some days, I remember myself as a faultless victim. And other days, I look my less-than-noble motives and desires right in the face and study a reflection of myself that is, at least partly, villainous. And they're both right. I'm somehow able to hold these two seemingly contradictory truths at the same time without fracturing. Now, Chang'e is honored yearly during the Chinese Moon Festival, which is also an autumn harvest festival. She's said to grant secret wishes at this time. And like many moon goddesses, she's associated with women's health and fertility, and her harvest festival associates her with good fortune and abundance. Another goddess who's physically linked with the moon, the Greek Selene, is actually the moon. She's said to fly her silver chariot through the heavens each night, making way for her brother Helios every morning. Some tellings say that Selene's fifty children represent the weeks of the year, echoing a theme of other moon goddesses, the marking of human time. Selene is most often thought of as a luminous full moon goddess, and closely connected to the classic lunar traits, romance, emotions, intuition, magic, and reproductive cycles. She's also known as Luna, her Roman name, 
and mene from the words month and related to menses. Now Lilith was the focus of an episode in the first season of Witch and Goddess, and she's frequently connected to the Dark Moon. By now we know that Lilith is considered a goddess of our collective feminine shadow. She's so many of the delicious things women have been trained to deny and hide in ourselves. Sexual, assertive, difficult, and angry. Her relation to the moon seems almost accidental, maybe even a modern addition to her lore, but I think it's so important. Lilith is not representative of the moon itself, and she is definitely not a bright full moon goddess like Selene. Her shadowy themes make the dark moon phase a natural choice to represent her energy. Relatively recently, three different cosmic phenomena have been named for her. Waldemuth's mysterious dark moon, black moon Lilith, which is the apogee of the moon's orbit, and the asteroid Lilith. And whether you think of Lilith more as an archetype or a real spirit, through these cosmic namesakes, she has lent her energy to ideas and occurrences that define some of the traits modern followers find most inspiring about her. Independence, hidden or forbidden qualities, destruction, rage. In astrology, Lilith's name is used to show us in what areas of our life we refuse to compromise our free will, where we may boldly create our own path. She may also highlight an area where we've been shamed or misunderstood. Like the Dark Moon phase, Lilith holds, even honors, our shadows. I believe that Lilith is consciously stepping forward for humanity right now, providing us with a powerful example and archetype for confrontation and integration of our own shadows, and the personal empowerment that results from that process. I see her dressing herself in the Dark Moon lore and energy to get the job done. There's a beautiful example of a moon goddess from ancient Peru, Mamakia. She was the moon goddess imagined as a silver disc with a woman's face. A temple was dedicated to her in the Peruvian city of Cusco, attended by dedicated priestesses. She's often pictured as a human female with an ornate silver disc headdress or crown. And she was said to cry tears of silver which fell and blessed the earth. Mother Moon was honored at regular rituals, especially held during eclipses. Incas feared the eclipses because they believed a supernatural jaguar, serpent, or even a mountain lion was attacking their beloved Mother Moon. Mamakia is another example of a goddess mated or partnered with her culture's sun god. Like other moon goddesses, she's connected to the passage and measurement of time and was recognized as the keeper of the Incan calendar. Mamakia is an overall protector of women, ruling reproductive cycles and marriage, especially protecting women within marriage. Diana's name is sometimes tossed away as synonymous with the Greek goddess Artemis, but she's an ancient divinity from Italy, where she existed even before the Romans, before her conflation with Artemis. The Romans did carry her lore and veneration throughout Europe. And despite the current confusion with Artemis, which will cover properly in an episode all her own, Diana may have her own connection to the moon. She was originally an Italian goddess worshipped at least as early as the 6th century BCE. 
In fact, for ancient Italians, she was the queen of the open sky, and because they had no sun god, she may have ruled both heavenly bodies. Ancient writers recorded that people considered Diana and the moon as the same, and argued that one of her titles, Diana Lucifera, meaning light bearer, is in reference to her presence as the moon. She's long been called on during childbirth, possibly because Artemis was originally known as the goddess of childbirth, but also because of the connection between human pregnancy and lunar cycles, and she was believed to grant conception. At Diana's oldest shrine in Aricia, worshippers left terracotta offerings shaped as babies and wombs, and the temple also offered the care of um, pups and pregnant dogs. Yamaya is an Orisha, one of the spirits venerated in Africa and African diaspora traditions. As the queen of the sea, she often appears as a mermaid, incredibly powerful and beloved. It seems her connection to the moon is her identity as a major sea spirit. Sometimes referred to as the crescent moon goddess, she lives in the sea, she is the spirit of the sea, and is considered to be the sea. As we know, the moon and the sea have a strong affinity for one another, each reflecting the other, each with a strong presence in the magic of the other. Yamaya is called on for issues relating to motherhood and all realms connected to women, including reproductive cycles and issues. Now, with two previous episodes devoted entirely to Hecate, you'd think we would have covered her connection to the moon, but I didn't dig into it in any depth. She's an ancient goddess with centuries and centuries worth of lore and many symbols. Was her association with the moon just an afterthought, mistakenly attaching to her because of her repeated connection to Artemis? Her earliest mentions are in the Theogony of Hesiod and Hymn to Demeter, where she's not a dark lunar goddess. In fact, one could argue that there are more solar aspects referenced and connected to her in these early writings. In her book, Circle for Hecate, Sarita de Este explains how several of Hecate's symbols are potentially linked to the moon and the goddess. One of the oldest literary mentions of Hecate in connection to the moon appears in Seneca's play, Medea. Here, Hecate is associated with all of the moon's phases, especially the full moon, but she's also syncretized with Selene at this point. Hecate's rituals have traditionally been performed on the last and first days of the lunar month, and our favorite torch-bearing goddess is often shown with a crown or diadem featuring a crescent moon. Historians believe the ancient images of the crescent did not indicate waxing or waning, but represented the moon generally. Ultimately, Hecate may not have originally been associated with the moon, but her followers have been making the connection for well over a thousand years. Personally, any image of a white moon in an inky black sky instantly reminds me of Hecate. Maybe it's because current depictions of her frequently include moon imagery, or maybe it's my own reverence of her as the night-wandering goddess. But I can't seem to shake the link she shares with the moon, at least in my mind and in my practice. Remember, if you'd like to learn how to deepen into lunar magic, if you suspect there are more ways to work with the moon than charging your crystals, if you desire a more balanced relationship with all of the moon's phases, 
then I invite you to join my newest course, Lunar Witch. The videos and lessons are hosted conveniently on Facebook, where I also host live moon rituals within the private group. You can check out all of the details of this program and all the other ways to work with me at blackbirdmagic.com. Just check out the Lunar Witch tab on blackbirdmagic.com, and that's magic with a CK. I would love to hear your favorite lunar goddess. If she wasn't covered today, you can connect with me at Witch and Goddess Pod on Instagram or leave a recorded message for me through the Anchor app. Sources for this episode are listed on the episode description. Thanks again for listening. May you experience the goddess within and express her without. How does she show up for you? How do you experience her? How are you called to her? You can leave voice messages with your experiences of the goddesses I've covered or general questions or comments about the intersection of witchcraft and goddess work. It's easy to record a message for me if you go to the Witch and Goddess page at anchor.fm. Click on the plus sign icon that says message and let me know what's on your mind. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and share this podcast with fellow magical people. You can directly support this show by visiting the Witch and Goddess page at anchor.fm and clicking that support button. Follow the show on Instagram at Witch and Goddess Pod or find my programs, classes, and groups at blackbirdmagic.com, on Facebook at blackbirdmagic, or email me at witchandgoddesspod at gmail.com.